are tuned in to CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio. And in the studio, you have Dave and Jody. You'll hear from Hank and Craig. And you'll hear from Brennan a little bit later. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, the fellows are going to talk about uh, the Oscars, because that was just on the weekend. The last of The Last of Us, the last episode was on Sunday. And also their sweet, sweet love for Picard. I have not seen The Last of Us or Picard, and I didn't watch any of the Oscars, but I was really happy to see that everything, everywhere, all at once really cleaned up because I really enjoyed that movie. And I have been a huge fan of Michelle Yao for years. So we're going to spend a little time today with a love letter to Michelle Yao and mention at least five of her other movies that came out years and years ago that are absolutely tremendous. And if you really want to get a scope of her abilities, you need to see these ones. Yeah, absolutely. So we discovered Michelle back in, I guess it would have been like 1993-ish. Yeah. Class uh, Riel started running all these movies in Mandarin because nobody in Saskatoon had figured out there was an audience for that before. And I think the first midnight Mandarin movies we saw were like maybe the first four Jackie Chan movies we'd ever seen. Yeah, and they were amazing. And then they brought us Super Cop. This is directed by Stanley Tong. It's written by Edward Tang, and it is amazing. So it's Jackie Chan, Michelle Yao, and Maggie Chung is in this as well. And did she have a different name back then? Um, she was Michelle Kwan when she, we she, watched her in the 90s, right? In some things, yeah. But she did go by Michelle Yao through most things that we know her in. Uh, basically, Jackie Chan is an unconventional crime fighter. Well, you can say that again. <laughs> and Michelle Yao is like a leader in like the Red Army. And there's, you know, a bad guy to catch, and together they catch him. But the chemistry between those two is amazing. And the action sequences, I was absolutely stunned when I discovered her. And I couldn't believe that she wasn't a martial artist because she executes everything so well. So it wasn't surprising when we learned that she was a ballet dancer, that, that most of her career had been devoted to dance. And so it was fairly easy for her to transpose those skills into film with doing action moves. Yeah, and like all the Super Cop movies are great, but this one from 1992 with Michelle Yao kind of playing the more like straight-laced by the book law officer yeah. compared to Jackie Chan's off the wall crazy stunts law I mean that this is kind of how we met her first mm -hmm. uh and she was good as an actor but she was even better as a performer and you know kind of going uh beat for beat with Jackie with all the stunts and stuff like that but she was a presence there was no question about it and beautiful and just uh, yeah stunning on the screen the next year she did a movie that we have watched, I would say, over 100 times. Yeah, maybe. Um, this is Tai Chi Master, and it is directed by Wu Ping Yang, and it is, it has Jet Li in it, um, and basically it's a story of these two monks, and they are in training from a young age, and they get kicked out because of fighting, and so they have to go out into the world. One turns bad, and one turns good, so you've got the 
you know, evil army, basically. And then you've got these rebels that are trying to, like, do right for all the peasants. And Michelle is affiliated, of course, with the good guys. But her performance in this is... It could have been played just for comic effect or just as like, you know, another little side plot, but it's amazing. Like her, it's heart wrenching. This, this was like, for one thing, seeing her at this time, two years in a row, starring in a Jackie Chan movie and then starring in a Jet Li movie, that kind of made her a bigger star than both of them to us. Cause you know, Jackie and Jet were like the biggest names in Kung Fu cinema at that time. And here she was getting a starring role with both of them because it was like unfathomable that they would ever do a movie with each other. Right. So it was almost like she was like this link between the two greats that became greater herself. And in Tai Chi Master, she does a lot more martial arts than stunts. But like you said, this is where you start to get to see how like she's going to be a really good actor. Yeah, she's she is a great actor in this one. Uh, she also did that same year Heroic Trio, which is like girls kicking butt. Yeah. Um, and it's lighter. Mich and Michelle it's... Yao, Maggie Chung, and I can't remember who the third member of the Heroic Trio was, but that's probably because she was less heroic. Because <laughs> everybody was less heroic than Michelle Yao, yeah. who sort of stole this movie, even though it's not very good. But at the time, it was a big deal. It was. I, I, I would go back and watch that again. I, I would too. Um, and we haven't seen it too many times. But another one that came out the following year, we've watched many, many times, and that is Wing Chun. I'm going to put the call out to Shaky Wilson. Please return my VHS copy of Wing Chun. Uh, this is directed by Wu Ping Yen, and in, this one has Donnie Yen in it. And he, it's, it's kind of Shakespearean, actually. It's about these three sisters, and they have a, like, soybean shop. Yeah, they, they, make, sell, they make and sell tofu. They make and sell tofu, and uh, they, they give refuge to this beautiful girl who, you know, all the men come and buy their soy because she's so pretty. And uh, Michelle is kind of a spinster-ish, but she's holding a candle for someone and so that little romance gets brewed and it's charming it's it's a really nice movie and it does have some really good kung fu in it yeah and the the spinster role of her you know at this phase of her career starting to get cast as like the slightly older woman in the cast of women um, sort of sets the table for what she was going to play in Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon where she's kind of like the ultimate carry-a-torch spinster character. Yes. So that came out in the year 2000, directed by Ang Lee. It's incredible. I love this movie. It is one of the most beautifully cinematic movies. Sure, the, the wires are a little distracting, and you have to just absorb and take it. You have it. to just drop your attitude yeah. about the wires and the stunts and appreciate it as, like artistic action movie mm -hmm. if you can do that and and you know then other movies like hero and house of flying daggers would sort of follow in the path of that and i i guess this the style of kung fu is sometimes called wuxia and if you love it you love it and if it's silly to you 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 probably aren't going to be able to appreciate on the same nerdy level but that's the way it goes yeah it, it, the storylines are great all of the performances are absolutely 
boggling. They're so good. And it all comes together beautifully. Beautifully shot, beautifully written, beautifully performed. It is one of my favorite kung fu movies. And it it's more where the action is more like dance. So you can really see why Michelle Yao would be perfect for it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I think the storytelling style, a lot like a lot of people who are really big anime fans, maybe even bigger than than we are, that haven't seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it's got an anime sensibility, kind of a based in reality, but sort of there are fantastical things that can happen. Yes, true. And yeah, her performance is so nuanced. It's just, ugh. Just watch it. If you haven't seen this, you need to watch it. And and those are just a few of her things. I mean, she's done a lot more mainstream stuff. She's done a ton of voice work. But those are like my favorite five that uh, if you're just finding out who she is because of everything everywhere all at once, then you need to go backtrack and, and see these two. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, good suggestions. Okay. Well, we're going to throw things over to Hank and Craig, and they're going to talk about the Oscars and The Last of the Last of Us, like I said, and a little bit of Picard, and then we'll hear from Brennan, and then we'll have time for just a couple of comics. So take it away, fellas. Hey, everybody. It's Craig Siliphant on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Hank Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so why don't we, uh, quickly touch on the, I know like we're recording this a few days early. So by the time it airs, people are probably over it by now, but, uh, any quick thoughts and impressions about the Oscars? Well, I'll tell you my thoughts and impressions. One, every year, my sister and I uh, compete against each other. Uh, every year she wins, regardless if she sees every movie, if she sees zero movies, it doesn't matter. So this year I got 16 out of 23. She got 19 out of 23. Right. And so beats me by three. Now, one of them, uh, I did take a risk because I picked uh, a different uh, original screenplay. So I went for Banshees, where, of course, she went with every, She's like, original is in the title. What's more original than the Everything Everywhere All at Once movie? Like, really? <laughs> and I went, but this is the only category where they might give something to Banshees to go, hey, way to go, because the rest of the categories, they really couldn't. You know, when I went, this is the one. No, and then a couple of the other categories in this there too. But uh, I got most of the major ones, right? But yeah, that screenplay one really, really took me down there. So yeah. uh, I, just I think another year of losing. Yeah. Your, your thinking was correct, though. I didn't choose that one. I think I got that category. But I did have that thought like, oh, this would be a great place to reward Banshees when you can't do it anywhere else. I actually lost points on Best Actress because uh, I went with uh, Angela Bassett, who had been favored to win. Uh, uh, no, and then it I kind of became a 50-50 race between the two. And it's funny, before the Oscars, I said to my wife, like, you know, I feel like I should – there's a couple of these categories that could go either way. Uh, and I feel like I should vote with my heart on those instead and change my answers before the, the, the show starts. And she was like, well, do whatever you want. But she was like, just – don't you're second guessing it too much just stick to your original thoughts so uh she obviously psyched me out there so there was that category i was gonna put michelle yo because i was like you know what i want michelle yo to win uh but i stuck with bassett instead and then in the uh best actor category i had put uh austin green is that his name the elvis uh, guy butler 
Austin Butler. Austin Butler. I don't know where Green. I think I'm thinking of Brian Austin. Brian Austin Green. Beverly Hills 90210. Austin Butler, I chose because he was like the odds on favorite to win through most of this campaign. But uh, then I was like, you know, I really wish it could be Brendan Frazier, but I don't want to lose a point over my heart. So uh, and then obviously I lost that one, too. So I, I will say whenever that happens, though, I am super happy to get those ones wrong because it means like, oh, the person I wanted to see win actually mm -hmm. won. So uh, my mother-in-law, I will tell you, does the same thing. And so this year she admitted a little way in that all she'd done was copied the L.A. Times answers. <laughs> there you uh, go. Yeah. But she tied with me too. I also had 16. So I think I had my fatal flaw was those those two acting. Uh, I remember the years when I, I used to pick all of them, the ones that I th thought should win. Right. And then uh, I would always lose because like, well, no, uh, it's all the campaign. And we know we've talked about it before. Like it's yeah. the whole thing's a joke anyway. But, yeah. Yeah. It's a force. Uh, but yeah, but I try to think like an Oscar voter now still got 16. I'm like, ah. Yeah, it's and it was a tough year, I'll say. Uh, nice to hear that the telecast numbers went up by about 12 percent from last year. What did you overall quickly just think of the like, you know, it was, night? you know, it was kind of it was I like that with the time change, it was done a little bit earlier. So I like that part that instead of 11, it was done around 10 something, I think. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Which I didn't like because I like took the next day off to just like revel in it. And it started so early. And so my kids were still around before. bedtime. <laughs> but but that generally I would normally like that. But it was, it was a, it was fine. Yeah, it was a safe and almost a little bit boring, but a good reset on some of the stuff they've been happening in the last few years there. Uh, I like that they had all the like technical categories yeah, back. All the categories it, back. It, it did feel like it was a night to celebrate the movies and the technical uh, and acting and the achievements of the movies and stuff, and not necessarily like you know, just fill it with a bunch of skits to try and bring in the Gen Z or whoever, you know what I mean? So I'm fine if it becomes a little less popular. And I think the Oscars are taking flack for that when it's really like, is it the Oscars that are losing relevance or is it like the movies in general that are losing a bit of re relevance, you know yeah. what I mean? So, and I think the, the Oscars numbers are just a reflection of that, but uh, overall I enjoyed it. It was okay. Yeah. Do you know uh, uh, what, what else came out on Sunday night that everybody watched after the Oscars? The last of us season finale. Yes. Did you watch it? I yeah. did. I watched it uh, the following day. Actually, I went to bed after the Oscars, but I watched it the next day. I think they covered a lot of ground in 45 minutes. Oh yeah. Uh, and definitely a lot of like checks to the game that I remembered the, you know, the giraffe, the, the shootout in the hospital, the ending, uh, which I don't want to spoil here, but you know, I think some of the biggest controversy was the ending. And I, I think it was, Fine. I guess I don't want to give it away here in case somebody hasn't seen it, but uh, I think it may. You know what? Like, too bad for everybody else. Let's give it away. It's been long enough now that if you don't know, you should have watched it already. All because right. that's the big thing that in the game, uh, just like in the show, uh, that you have to go and he's got to make the choice that it's like, uh, do I save Ellie? And potentially uh, she does have the cure inside her um, or is he going to let some surgeons go in and operate on her brain and kill her to try to use whatever it is to save humanity. And uh, so the controversy is that, well, he should have let her die to save humanity. And it's like, well, after watching these nine episodes, you're like, no, no, nobody. Like, if that was me, I couldn't do that and be like, no, you go and save her because there's got to be another way. You got to be another way. You can't let this this butcher go and like cut into her brain. Like, no way. Yeah. And somebody else made a great point, too, is A, they don't know if that would have right? been the cure. B, they never asked her for permission. 
Uh, and though she likely probably would have sacrificed herself, uh, they were, that was sort of implied earlier on. You know, we don't know. It was very interesting. They were talking about doing like some testings on those endings in, in survey form. And they said that like of, of parents who filled out the survey form, 100% of the parents sided with Joel yeah. uh, and would have saved Ellie. And the non-parents, it was more like 50-50. But uh, just very interesting that like, you know, as parents, you're like, yeah, no, I would have like murdered all those people and, and saved my kids. Because you don't know. Like you have no idea that it's like, wow. And like, and you go and sacrifice yourself for nothing. And it's like, no, no. And the relationship. But I love how they took so much uh, and covered so much in those nine episodes. So the game, um, you know, it's longer than, you know, nine hours of TV to get to the point uh, where they're at the hospital. And because season two, if they go at that fast pace again, well, now we're going to get into new stuff that nobody's ever seen before. And right. that's, oh, it's a big shocker. Well, everybody that's played the game knows what happened. So you're like, it wasn't a shocker to me, but it still was quite emotional when the look on his face is like, what are, where is she in what bring what are you kidding me and now he's like i'm i gotta go save her and it's like oh yeah oh yeah so yeah overall i enjoyed it i it'll be fun to see season two so uh we got a couple minutes left let's talk about uh picard oh, which please. yes i have been enjoying this season obviously a lot more than previous seasons uh the previous seasons were pretty like spotty the one thing I would say is, I mean, I love that they're bringing back the Next Generation crew and everything, but the idea that uh, they're trying to riff on a lot, especially Wrath of Khan, and sometimes they're overdoing it, where it's just like, okay, I get it. Like, this is the nebula from the Wrath of Khan. This is that, the the fathers and sons thing. Like, it's they're leaning too hard into it, too obviously, instead of sort of like thematically stealing a few things, but telling their own story, so far at least. Uh, but that said, I have been enjoying it. What do you uh, think so far? You watch your filthy mouth. This is the <laughs> best thing that's ever happened to television. The best thing. Um, <laughs> I honestly, uh, season one, I thought was okay. Season two was a, a joke um, that it's like, I don't know what happened there, but uh, this season uh, it's everything that I want. And it is honestly right now, the only show that I get excited about watching. So yeah. like Thursday night, uh, my daughter and I are like, oh, we got to watch this. And it's just so good. And just seeing like when uh, Worf came on and said his whole speech about like, oh, it's like just so cool. And then it gives me hope that when I'm 70 something like Riker or I'm 80 something like uh, Picard, maybe I'll still be able to go out and, uh, you know, travel the universe and kick some ass you know hey you never know what'll happen we got a few years maybe they'll invent some kind of crazy space travel between now and then so we'll uh keep tabs on that show a little bit because uh i agree i'm enjoying it i mean i'm hugely enjoying seeing those characters all back together uh or at least the ones that have shown up so far uh, and especially picard and Riker uh together and then even throwing in people like seven of nine and and new characters like Jordy laforge's daughter and, and things like that so yeah it's really fun but that's our time for this week so we're going to throw back to jody and everybody else uh so we'll talk to you next week and uh you know keep watching good stuff Woo. Hello, Punch listeners. It is Brennan here once again to give you some suggestions on things to help change your life. That's right. We're not just giving you suggestions on things to watch and read and enjoy. If anything, we're helping change your quality of life. And I think today I have something that will help in that manner. So the Oscars have just ended and we've celebrated the best movies of the year. Uh, I'm sure that 
Craig and Hank are going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about it, so I'm not going to worry about that. But today, I want to talk about the double feature. That's right, something that used to be part of American cinema for decades, the double feature. Now, before binge watching, before we had all our apps and our Netflix and all those type of things, where you would just sit at home and watch everything you'd want for hours and hours on end, we had the double feature. It started back in the 1930s. And it was a way of trying to bring back people to the theater because of the Great Depression, people had less money. So theaters decided if they had two features, they could bring more people in. So they would have a commercial, a short film, the newsreels, uh, the B movie, which was a lesser known movie, and then another short reel, and then the A movie. And this was actually happened for decades up until the 60s um, when they began to do more of a double bill. So they'd have two bigger motion pictures um, and eventually it became one. It's actually quite interesting if you actually look into the history. I don't want to talk about all of that, but at one point you could go to movie theater, watch two movies, and enjoy several hours of entertainment. Fast forward to Saskatoon. Plus Real Theater back in the day used to do movie marathons. That's right. They would do an entire week sometimes of shows and they would have um, a science fiction day, um, a Hong Kong action movie day, a crime day, all right? I remember seeing Drunken Master 2 by Jackie Chan at midnight and it was life-changing. Um, now, if you want to do a double feature or perhaps even a triple feature, you have to do it on your own. You have to be a bit more careful. You have to check out the times and pick the shows that you want to see. And that's exactly what I did. Last weekend, a friend of mine and I that we hadn't seen for a long time, we used to always make our own double features uh, back when we had, you know, like Cheap Tuesdays and Rainbow Cinemas and things. And we decided to do our own triple feature. In our triple feature, we saw all genre movies. That's right. We did Ant-Man, Scream 6, and the much-anticipated Cocaine Bear. That's right. Now, what's amazing, when you see three movies in the same day, how you can compare them and, and how they seem different to each other. Um, Ant-Man, of course, the big Marvel spectacle. Um, pretty much what you'd expect. Nothing terribly different. I thought it was good overall. Jonathan Majors as Kang was the best part of the movie. Check out Kang. This is more like the family version of Ant-Man. Uh, the CGI, I get a little bit tired of. I'm not sure what it is, but it makes my eyes tired. Anyway, good movie. Scream 6. I didn't see Scream before it. I heard it was really, really good. Scream 6 was very well done. I had no connection to the characters because I hadn't seen the last Scream. Um, but it was, it was quite well done. Um, James Vanderbeet written, wrote it, which is kind of cool. Um, we guessed a couple of things and felt pretty smart. Um, Jenna Ortega is in it. Uh, Melissa Barrera. Uh, it was good. If you like the last one, you'll like six. I didn't see the last one, but I still enjoyed number six. Skipping ahead to Cocaine Bear. I know what you're saying. I should probably talk more about Ant-Man, but Cocaine Bear is getting my attention. Starring Ray Liotta in his last movie ever. That's right. He went from Goodfellas to Cocaine Bear. Uh, Carrie Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, Ice Cube's son, um, and a 